Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash peptides. Thank you for joining me on the Save My Thyroid podcast, where I help people save their thyroid and regain their health. My name is Dr. Eric Osansky, and if you have hyperthyroidism, then you will especially benefit from these episodes. If you have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you will also find many of these episodes to be valuable. Unfortunately, this isn't one of those episodes, as in this episode, I will be discussing five hyperthyroid myths. So if you have Graves' disease, toxic multinodular goiter, or a different hyperthyroid condition, then you'll want to tune into this episode. Please make sure you check out the post-episode chat after the outro music, as I'll be discussing something that is completely irrelevant to the episode content. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast, hosted by Dr. Eric Osansky. To stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics, visit SaveMyThyroid.com. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Now let's head to the show. So myth number one is that the only three treatment options for hyperthyroidism are medication, radioactive iodine, and surgery. Of course, this describes what just about every endocrinologist recommends. Either they will recommend antithyroid medication or a beta blocker, both of them, or they very well might rush into radioactive iodine, or they might recommend thyroid surgery. And without question, there's a place for at least two of these three options. I'm not a big fan of radioactive iodine, but there is a time and place for antithyroid medication. I do have a lot of patients who take methimazole. Some people will take PTU. Some people will take carbimazole if they're living elsewhere, such as United Kingdom. And there is a time and place for thyroid surgery. Sometimes surgery is necessary, but in most cases, radioactive iodine and thyroid surgery should be last resorts, not first resorts. But once again, there are endocrinologists who will rush the patients and pressure the patient into receiving these harsh treatment methods. So of course, you know that my goal is to try to help people address the underlying cause of the problem. And like I said, while doing that, they may need to take antithyroid medication. Sometimes they may even need to take beta blockers such as propranolol or atenolol. But I think it's crazy that just about every endocrinologist won't be open to alternative treatments. And the only treatment options are the medication, radioactive iodine, or thyroid surgery. Myth number two is related to Graves' disease. And that myth is that radioactive iodine is a cure for Graves' disease. And we can make the argument that radioactive iodine might be a cure for hyperthyroidism. And even that's not true all the time. Some people will need multiple doses of radioactive iodine. And I hate using the word cure because radioactive iodine can get rid of the hyperthyroidism just as can thyroid surgery. If someone gets a complete thyroidectomy, they will no longer be hyperthyroid. But it's not really a cure. It is doing something to manage the hyperthyroid symptoms. But 
When it comes to Graves' disease, of course, Graves' disease is an autoimmune condition and radioactive iodine does absolutely nothing for the autoimmune component. Same thing with surgery. Like I said, there is a time and place for surgery, but even if someone were to get surgery or if someone were to choose to get radioactive iodine, in my opinion, they still should do things to address the immune system because once again, we're dealing with an autoimmune condition when it comes to Graves' disease. And I'll add that even if someone has a different type of hyperthyroid condition, such as toxic multinodule goiter, and they were to receive radioactive iodine or thyroid surgery, they still would want to do things to address the cause of the problem. Myth number three is that improving your diet doesn't help with hyperthyroidism. I don't know how many times I've heard this from patients who told me that their endocrinologist said, don't bother with the diet or maybe they don't say specifically don't bother with the diet, but they might say, well, you could try eating well, but it's not going to help at all. So most endocrinologists, again, are negative towards the diet. And I think any doctor should be open to the fact that eating well, eating whole healthy foods will improve one's overall health. Okay, so maybe I could understand them not thinking that eating healthy will reverse hyperthyroidism just because that's not what their training includes when they go to medical school and then go on to, you know, get their specialty in endocrinology. But to completely dismiss diet and to tell people don't bother following a healthy diet, which again, not every endocrinologist will do, but some of them will do. I think at the very least, they should have the perspective, well, I don't think diet will help, but it's not going to hurt to eat a diet consisting of whole healthy foods and avoiding the inflammatory foods and unhealthy oils. So go ahead and follow it while taking the antithyroid medication, for example. But no, they almost always will talk negative and a lot of times they'll talk down to the patients. And so that's definitely a big myth. Now, I've mentioned in the past that diet alone usually isn't going to reverse one's hyperthyroid condition, but it is an important piece of the puzzle. If someone eats a diet consisting of inflammatory foods, they're probably not going to achieve optimal results. Hey, this is Dr. Eric. And if you're looking to do everything you can to save your thyroid gland, in addition to listening to this podcast, there are a few different ways we can help you. First of all, I've written a book on hyperthyroidism called Natural Treatment Solutions for Hyperthyroidism and Graves' Disease, as well as a book called Hashimoto's Triggers, which of course is on Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And you can find both of these on Amazon, as well as other websites where books are sold. Second, you could also join my Graves' Disease and Hashimoto's Healing Community by visiting autoimmunethyroidgroup.com. And finally, if you want to get personal help from me, you could visit the website workwithdrerick.com. Just to let you know, I only see a limited number of new patients each month, and I do require anyone interested to complete a brief online application before working with me. And now back to the show. Myth number four is that you can't take methimazole for longer than two years. My goal is not to encourage people to be on antithyroid medication for a long period of time. In fact, you might know that when I dealt with Gravesies, I did not take antithyroid medication. I took the herb bugleweed, and I also took the herb motherwort for symptom management. But some people do need to take antithyroid medication just because the herbs don't work with everybody. And many endocrinologists will tell their patients that they can only take methimazole or if they're on a different type of antithyroid medication, such as BTU. But let's stick with methimazole since it is the most commonly prescribed antithyroid medication. And so many endocrinologists say you can only be on the antithyroid medication, again, methimazole for 
18 months to two years. And then after two years, if the person is in a remission, they will need to get radioactive iodine or thyroid surgery. Now, there's a few problems with this. First of all, their definition of remission is they're on the medication for, let's say, two years. And then after two years, everything looks normal. And usually it's just the thyroid panel. They're usually not focusing on the thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins, the thyroid antibodies associated with Graves' disease. And just because someone has normal thyroid hormone levels and doesn't need methimazole after 18 months or two years doesn't mean that they're in remission. In fact, many of these people will eventually relapse just because the cost of the condition was never addressed. The second problem is that people can take antithyroid medication for longer than two years, especially in lower doses. Now, once again, this isn't the ideal situation. When someone works with me, I really don't want them to be on antithyroid medication for that long. That's not the goal. The goal is to try to address the cause of the problem so that they won't need the antithyroid medication. Again, I don't take them off the antithyroid medication. That's the goal of their prescribing doctor. If everything starts looking good when we try addressing the causes and the triggers and underlying imbalances, then the numbers will shift in a more hypothyroid condition. And over time, the person will get their dosage reduced by their endocrinologist. But again, if there is a situation where someone needs to be on methimazole for longer than two years, there is actually research that shows that it is fine, that it is safe. Once again, especially in lower doses, like five milligrams, maybe even 10 milligrams per day. I mean, 20 milligrams or greater. I don't know if I'd want to be on that high of a dose for that long. But honestly, if I was faced with a situation of receiving radioactive iodine, thyroid surgery, or staying on the methimazole, even if it was a higher dose, I'd think about it. But if it was five milligrams or 10 milligrams, to me, it would be a no-brainer. I would just stay on the medication and save my thyroid. Once again, not the ideal situation, and that's not my goal when I work with someone, but I think it's wrong for endocrinologists to just put that timetable and put the pressure on the person where after two years, they need to stop taking the antithyroid medication and then choose between radioactive iodine and thyroid surgery. And then the fifth and final myth is that your thyroid will eventually burn out. So I hear this a lot from endocrinologists telling people with hyperthyroidism, well, eventually your thyroid's going to burn out, so you might as well just receive the radioactive iodine thyroid surgery. So the thyroid doesn't burn out. Now, there are a few situations where someone with hyperthyroidism can become hypothyroid, but it's not related to the thyroid burning out. One of the situations is subacute thyroiditis, which is a temporary hyperthyroid condition caused typically by a virus. And what happens is you get damage to the thyroid follicular cells. And so the person eventually, usually within a few months, will switch from hyperthyroid to hypothyroid. And in most cases, they'll eventually become euthyroid again, which means they'll have normal thyroid hormone levels. They won't be hyper or hypo. In some cases, they will become permanently hypothyroid. But this is one situation where someone may be hyper and become hypo. And then another situation is if someone has hyperthyroidism, but they also have antibodies for Hashimoto's. So thyroid peroxidase antibodies or TPO antibodies, they're very common in Graves' disease, but they're more commonly associated with Hashimoto's. They actually are associated with damage to the thyroid gland and so are anti-thyroglobulin antibodies. So if someone with 
Graves' disease if they have, in addition to the thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins, which is a type of TSH receptor antibody. So if they also have TPO antibodies and or antithyroglobulin antibodies, over time, that can cause damage to the thyroid gland, which could result in hypothyroidism. Now, when I'm working with someone with Graves' disease, if they have other autoantibodies, we're addressing the immune system overall. So we're trying to find triggers underlying imbalances that will help with all the antibodies, which will help with the immune system overall. But if someone with Graves' disease just goes to an endocrinologist, and if they take antithyroid medication for 18 months to two years, for example, and they're not doing anything to improve their immune system health, then over time, there is a decent chance they can become hypothyroid. Now, it could take many years for this to happen. It could take sometimes 5, 10, 15 years, and there's no guarantee it will happen, but good chance if someone has those autoantibodies that over time they will eventually become hypothyroid if they don't address the underlying cause of the problem. So that is a myth. Your thyroid will not eventually burn out, but those are two situations when someone with hyperthyroidism may eventually become hypothyroid. So I'd like to just go ahead and summarize these five myths. So myth number one is that the only three treatment options are medication, radioactive iodine, and thyroid surgery. Definitely not true. And I've been proving it for well over 10 years, since 2009. And again, I proved it on myself when you know I was able to reverse my hyperthyroid condition being diagnosed with Graves' disease in 2008. Myth number two, radioactive iodine is a cure for Graves' disease. Again, completely false. Radioactive iodine may help with the hyperthyroid component, and usually does. Sometimes they'll need multiple rounds, but radioactive iodine, that's what it does. It helps with the hyperthyroidism. But again, Graves' disease is an autoimmune condition. Radioactive iodine doesn't do anything for the autoimmune component. Myth number three, improving your diet doesn't help with hyperthyroidism. So once again, Diet is an important piece of the puzzle. Changing one's diet alone may not reverse hyperthyroidism and usually won't in most cases, but I think it's ignorant of most endocrinologists to completely dismiss diet as being an important factor. Myth number four, you can't take methimazole for longer than two years. So as I mentioned, it's not an ideal situation to take methimazole for longer than two years when people work with me because I want to address the cause of the problem. But when someone's seeing an endocrinologist and they're not addressing the underlying cause of the problem, and many times they're told that within 18 months to two years, if they're not in so-called remission, that they need to get radioactive iodine or thyroid surgery, again, the research doesn't support this. There are a number of studies out there that show that taking especially lower doses of methimazole longer term is a safe option. Now, I should add that everybody is different. And methimazole, there are a lot of people that don't do well with methimazole. So if someone's taking methimazole and they have elevated liver enzymes or depressed white blood cell count, then obviously they don't want to be on methimazole for even 18 months to two years, let alone longer than two years. They probably will be taking off the methimazole relatively quickly, and they could always try taking a different type of antithyroid medication, such as PTU. But if someone is tolerating the antithyroid medication fine and two years comes by, again, I think it's kind of crazy to just say, okay, it's two years and you need to receive the radioactive iodine or thyroid surgery. You need to make that choice now. Like I said, if it was up to me, like if I were taking 
antiviral medication and two years went by and if I wasn't doing anything naturally and I still wasn't in so-called remission, I would rather take the antiviral medication than to go through surgery or radioactive iodine, but that's just me. And then the fifth myth is that your thyroid will eventually burn out. So once again, that's false. I mentioned how there are two situations when someone might switch from hyperthyroidism to hypothyroidism. One of those is subacute thyroiditis. And then a second situation is if someone with Graves' disease also has the antibodies for Hashimoto's, specifically the antithyroid globulin antibodies, as well as the thyroid peroxidase antibodies. So if you have those antibodies and you're not doing anything to address the autoimmune component, then over time, there's a decent chance that you will become hypothyroid. So these are the five myths associated with hyperthyroidism. I hope you learned a lot and I look forward to catching you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Another myth I forgot to mention is that most male endocrinologists are nice guys. Okay, this really isn't a myth, and I honestly don't mean to be too hard on endocrinologists, as there actually are some nice ones out there. In fact, the female endocrinologist I saw when I was diagnosed with Graves' disease back in 2008 seemed to be very nice. And I actually just interviewed Dr. Angela Maza about radiofrequency ablation, and she was extremely nice as well. I just wish that more endocrinologists were open-minded when it comes to the healing power of the body. Another thing I want to rant about that is completely unrelated to hyperthyroidism myths is that I hate listening to episodes I've recorded And since I have someone else editing the episodes, I don't need to do this. However, recently I listened to a few unedited episodes and I was horrified how many times I said, you know, and of course I also had some ums and other fillers. I really do hope my editor is doing a good job of editing these out to make me look better and give all the listeners the impression that I never make a mistake. But I'll let you in on a little secret as after each episode goes live on the podcast, it eventually gets posted to YouTube. And for the most part, these are unedited. So if you want to hear me say, you know, and um a lot, you definitely will want to watch my YouTube videos. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver. And it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune modulating and adaptogenic properties, and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.